Can I acknowledge that we meet on Ngunnawal land today? Dara Nuna, Dara Ngunnawal, Yongu, Nalamanyan, Dunimanyan, Ngunnawalwari, Dawarawari, Dindi, Wangaralinjinyan, and acknowledge any Indigenous people present today. Uh, this is my uh, eighth Liberal budget, and we're speaking here with this, uh, this breakfast. Uh, and I've got to say, they've been quite a roller coaster. You know, in 2014, we had a budget where the Liberals were going to increase, introduce a Medicare co payment, change pension indexation to cut it from wage indexation to price indexation, and cut the CSIRO. And then we've had subsequent years in which Liberal budgets from Scott Morrison saw billions of dollars ripped out of the ABC, hospitals, schools and aged care. Uh, last year the budget centrepiece was the Job Maker program, which was going to create 450,000 jobs. Unfortunately it fell just a little short, by about 449,000 jobs to be exact. Now, as you know, the economy is performing better than expected. But before you join the treasurer in patting himself on the back, consider the following thought experiment. Suppose you didn't have any figures about the Australian economy. All you knew was how the world economy was performing. In other advanced countries, we've got unemployment returning now to pre-pandemic levels, growth returning to trend, and house prices soaring. No great surprise, we're seeing similar trends here in Australia. And the iron ore price now is over $200 a tonne. Uh, it's a lucky break for the lucky country, but it's not something for which the Morrison government can take credit. All of these changes, what in budget jargon are called parameter variations, have improved the budget bottom line by around $100 billion over four years. And so you might think that you'd get a commensurate reduction in the deficit. But you don't. The budget takes the lucky bounty and spends it, leaving, leaving gross debt peaking at around $1 trillion, one with 12 zeros after it. The party that produced back-in-black coffee mugs never produced a budget surplus and never will. Now this is a budget that spends a lot, yet fails to leave a lasting legacy. It's a spendathon to win the next election, not a reforming budget to set us up for the challenges of the future. At the end of World War II, the Curtin and Chifley governments didn't simply say, let's restore the world of 1939. No. They said instead, let's deliver full employment. Let's raise the home ownership rate. And they actually did those things. And likewise, we know the economy of 2019 wasn't delivering for many Australians. Business startup rates were down. Business investment was in the doldrums. Home ownership was the lowest it had been in half a century. Wages were flatlining. So a policy of back to 2019 isn't a great deal for a lot of Australian families. Compare last night's budget with the package that's just been announced by Joe Biden. Investment in clean energy, 
in research, in early childhood and community colleges. There's none of that ambition in Josh Frydenberg's budget. Ultimately, there's this issue of twin deficits. There's the budget deficit, 106 billion in case you're counting. But there's also a credibility deficit. We're supposed to believe that the government that cut $1.7 billion out of aged care when Scott Morrison was treasurer will now fix the rampant problems in the sector. The aged care package falls well short of what the Royal Commission recommended. Just to take one specific example, the Royal Commission called for 24-7 registered nurse cover in nursing homes. The budget doesn't deliver it. We're supposed to believe that the party that axed the family court will now address the crisis in family violence. We're supposed to believe that the party that failed to meet its own vaccination targets will now get jabs into Australians' arms. We're supposed to believe that the party that won't commit to net zero emissions by 2050, despite basically the entire business community in every state and territory signing up to that goal, can credibly tackle climate change. We're supposed to believe that the party that axed the women's budget statement in 2014 should be taken seriously when they restore it seven years later. We're supposed to believe that the party that gave 15 to $20 billion in JobKeeper to firms whose earnings were rising will now crack down on multinational tax avoidance. We're supposed to credit the government for cutting taxes on middle-income families, when in fact what they're doing is taking a tax hike and pushing it off one year. And we're supposed to believe that the party whose debt truck once warned of a $315 billion debt bombshell deserves to be re-elected after delivering a trillion dollars in debt. Debt that's partly funding sports rorts, dodgy land deals and excessive advertising. And in this budget, there's another $4 billion across some 21 slush funds. Now, the budget's got more promises than an episode of The Bachelor. But if you want to know what it will actually deliver, don't look at the promises. Look at the hard economic numbers. In last year's budget, vaccination was going to be done in 2021. Now they say, quote, a program is likely to be in place by the end of 2021, whatever that means. After inflation, wages will be lower in two years' time than they are today. Now, the wage forecasts in last year's budgets were low, but those in this year's budgets are worse. The budget's own numbers admit that real wages for the typical worker will fall by $200 in the next financial year. The budget says that business investment will be lower, despite billions of dollars in investment incentives. Migration and tourism won't return to normal until 2023, with migration forecasts for the coming year significantly downgraded. That's more crawlback than snapback. And then there's the risks that the budget ignores. 
conflict with our biggest trading partner, with the government recklessly fanning the flames. The potential for our exports to Europe being hit by carbon tariffs as a result of the Australian government's failure to tackle climate change. New waves of COVID sweeping through Australia if vaccination rates don't get high enough. More and fiercer catastrophic fire and weather events, again, as a result of a failure to tackle climate change. The potential of lower productivity as the research capacity of universities is permanently damaged. Now, I'm a congenital optimist, so I want to finish on a positive note. I like the decision to scrap the $450 a month threshold for superannuation contributions. I like the decision to permanently fund 15 hours of preschool for the year before school. I like the decision to finally scrap the public service staffing cap. Labor took these policies to the last election and will be pleased to support them in this budget. But we can do better. This month is Labor's 120th birthday. In our 12 decades, we created the pension, universal superannuation and the national disability insurance scheme. We made the tough decisions to introduce capital gains tax and fringe benefits tax. We created the APEC leaders meetings, brought Australia through the global financial crisis without a recession and built Medicare. Today, Australia faces major challenges, inequality, productivity, civic disconnectedness, declining test scores, climate change. But despite the massive price tag on this budget, it makes minimal progress towards addressing those problems. Australia deserves better. <laughs>